0: Welcome to PAX Cybersecurity Podcast. I'm Austin Miller.
1: And I'm Ashwin Naya.
0: And hello, Ken, Tia and Chris, uh, the authors of Hack the Cybersecurity Interview. Uh, Welcome to the Cybersecurity Podcast. Just to start off um, and set a little context for our listeners, could you all um, give our listeners a quick background on your journey and how you've made it this far in your careers?
2: Yeah, I guess I'll jump in real quick. So I came, I guess, from more of the traditional IT background, worked through networking for a while, and then moved into the security space. I came from a career in nursing, though, so as a pediatric nurse, working with little kids. Um, That's the short version of it. Uh, I I did not start out with degrees or certs in the space, so I'm a big proponent that you don't need those, which I think we'll get into a little bit on this episode, and then... uh, some point last year I conned uh Tia and Chris into writing a book with me so that's 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 my story
0: thank you very much um
1: Tia yeah, would you like
3: you to go to- next yeah sure i can go next so um i also um started out really more so in the IT networking uh, background. Um, by way of telecommunications, I started out installing um, high-speed internet uh, back when we thought DSL was high-speed internet, uh, dating myself a bit there. Uh, but that uh, I always had a thing for tech, but I did really get bit by the bug when I started doing that because I had to touch computers just a bit. So that's what led into more of the IT networking thing. And then I learned I was already doing some cybersecurity, just not focused on it. Um, and so I focused on it and fell in love with it. And uh, then became a Ken Underhill fangirl, linked up with Chris, and here we are.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> and that leaves
4: Chris, uh, I suppose. I myself uh, joined tech when the economy crashed. I was previously in sales. I always loved tech, but um, decided that I wanted to try my entrepreneurial career first. But this was 15 years ago. Um Converted over, started in help desk, uh, moved my way up into security, and started a podcast. Wrote a wrote a book before. Before um, Ken asked me to come on this one, and uh, been doing podcasting and writing books ever since.
1: Excellent. Uh, welcome, Christoph, Ken, and Tia. Uh, it's absolutely a pleasure to have you guys part of our podcast. So I'm going to jump straight into the questions. Uh, So we know cybersecurity as a field is growing, and we're seeing many fresh graduates and experienced professionals from other fields showing interest in cybersecurity. What advice would you give someone who's looking to get their foot in the door and possibly trying to land their first job in cybersecurity?
2: Uh, I guess I'll just jump in on that. Um... So, I, I mean, I think number one thing, regardless of where you're coming from, whether that's for you graduate in high school or you're graduating college or you're a career transitioner and you're trying to get over here. The, I think the number two, two main things I would say, well, three, three things. Number one, Tia always talks about your why. So I think that's where you need to start at. Like, why are you doing this? Is it for the money? Or are you trying to be cool like Chris? Like, what's what's the real reason, right? Are you, or do you actually want to get into this career? I think the other two things are going to be personal branding and networking. And you'll hear us, people, anytime you ask them, like, what should you do? They're always personal branding, networking. There's a reason for that because 99% of jobs are not advertised in cybersecurity. So the more you network with people, the more people know you for something like, oh, Tia's learning pen testing. Okay, cool. The more likely that when they walk out of a meeting and they've got a new job requis- requisite for a junior pen tester, you're the first person they think of. So before that job even gets out there, oftentimes before it's ever posted online, you hear about you know you get an offer for that position, right? So I, I think those are the the key things I would say. The technical stuff is really going to depend on what you're trying to do, on on what you need to learn there. You know, I I, I would say anyone should get a good foundation in computer networking, understand the fundamentals of. Software operating systems, et cetera uh, but do you do you need all of that to walk into your first role, depending on the role you're going into? Not necessarily um it's helpful, but I think number number like the top three things are going to be your why personal branding and networking
0: okay thank
4: you very much um no. and, and since I can't uh, oh, use those. Brilliant points that Ken already stole, um, I would go with customer service and empathy for what the business or the person that you're supporting is going through. Because if you can understand what you're trying to achieve and understand where they're coming from, then you can help provide them with the best path there. And notice, I didn't say the right path there because there's never one right path. It's always um, the best with the information that you have available at the time.
1: Definitely. So sounds good. Uh, um... Yeah. Would you also like to add to this, or should we move to the next question?
3: Yeah, I I can. It's tough. It's tough to go last behind these two, but um, I, I think. You know, when, when folks think about cybersecurity, especially newcomers to the space, they're met with all, you know, all the advertisements and posters that they see, you know, the hackers in the hoodies and you got the zeros and ones, all the bits and bytes. Um, I think it's important to understand that all cybersecurity roles are not technical. So you don't have to be hands on keyboard. You don't have to be a coder. You don't have to be this mastermind with network security or cloud security, any of those things, um, because if you think about GRC, for example... That type of analyst has a broad perspective on all things that are required to secure an organization, but it's not necessarily a a technical role. And I do think it increases the perceived barrier to entry for newcomers to the industry, thinking that you have to take on all these technical skills because it's a pretty heavy investment because you can't just go learn a skill. Check a box and move on. Like you have to continue, right, to use that skill. Or by the time you get an interview, six to eight months later, after you've applied for 2,000 jobs, you've forgotten how to do it. So, understanding your why, like Ken said, is what gives you a focus. Like, what do you want your nine to five to look like? Is it hands on keyboard? Is it advising? Is it analyzing data, consulting? You know, understanding those things helps you where to focus. Otherwise, you just spend a whole lot of money to get a whole lot of paper, and then you're still sitting there wondering um, what to do with it and and how to get a return on your investment. And and I think the last point I'll add is um, the industry is a lot about trust. To Ken's point that 99% of job roles aren't um, posted, or, or recs aren't posted, it's really, really, really about relationships. And it's not like I'm gonna hire my buddy or I'm gonna hire my friend, it's the trust factor. You know, there's a lot of a lot on the line in cybersecurity. And so the more trust there is established between a manager and their team or uh, an organization and the vendors that they purchase from, there's trust all throughout this industry. So whatever you can do to establish your credibility and continue to build that trust as you're looking to to get your foot in the door, that's having informational interviews, attending conferences, meeting with people. So folks start to know who you are and you become a face in the industry. That's super helpful.
0: Fantastic. Thank you very much for that. Um, I'm going to point this next question at Ken, um, if that's okay. Uh, You mentioned this, and the reason I'm doing that is because you mentioned this in passing right at the very start. So how how important is seeking a formal education, um, so for example, uh, computer science, in regard to wanting to pursue a career in cybersecurity? I think I can half guess your answer from what you said before.
2: <laughs> yeah, I you know, and there's gonna be some hate mail off this, right? Because some people are proponents of you you have to have a degree, you have to have certs. I, I had none of that uh when I started. Not saying that there's a bad thing with that, but I think if your mindset is I have to have this, then that really is detrimental to those that can't afford to do that. You know, not everybody can afford college or certifications. You definitely don't need a computer science degree whatsoever. I get that question actually a lot. I know people with psychology degrees. I know people with no college education. I know people with no certs. They've never gotten a cert that are some of the best people in the industry. So I think it's, I think it's really going back to what Tia had talked about a little bit of know where you want to go, then determine, okay, do I need certs? So for example, if you want to be a SOC analyst, let's be realistic. You're probably going to have to get CompTIA Security Plus. That's like a de facto, if you want to be a SOC analyst, companies are looking for that. Is it every company looking for that? No. Or are they going to say, well, that you don't have that. You're not getting in. Not usually, but that can help you stand out from the crowd a little bit. I will say that, uh, yeah, I'm stealing Tia's lines. Totally. Chris, uh, every single good, every single good point Tia has, I'm going to steal on this podcast <laughs> first and say it. Um, but yeah, I mean, short answer is I don't, I don't think it's required. I think the the more important thing is, is, it's a constant learning thing. I think sometimes when people think of college degrees or certifications that it's like, okay, I get this and that's it. And that's not the case. I mean, I'm constantly learning. is constantly learning. Chris is constantly learning. Like we, you have to, because technology changes, threats change. You have to constantly be learning. So if you can show a hiring manager, whether that's conveyed through your resume or networking or whatever, if you can show them that, Hey, I'm learning something now, I'm trying to share my knowledge on social media with others that maybe are a chapter in the book behind me so they can learn too, because maybe my voice is how they learn. They see someone like them doing it. So now they're learning it. And if you can show that and that you're constantly learning, that that to me shows me two things as a hiring manager. It shows me you have the right attitude and the right aptitude. And that's what I hire for. I can't speak for any other hiring managers, but that's what I hire for because I can send you to SANS training. I can pay for you to get a college degree. I can pay for other certs. I mean, I can do all that stuff depending on my budget, I can't train you to have life experience. That's going to, you know, put the foot in your butt and make you actually do things and want to do things and put in the hard work. I, I I just can't train that, you know, life itself has had, you know, your experiences in life have had to develop that in you. And if, if you can show that to me, then unless I've got really hard wrecks where I've got to be like, here's a criteria for compliance or something. But if I've got some wiggle room, at least you're going to get an interview. You're going to get a call for an interview. And then from there, now now your only challenge is like, wow me in the interview, right? So then you can get, be in the top, whatever, and potentially get a job offer.
3: I'm on uh, team Ken with that one because I I mean, I was in a leadership role before I even completed my first um, college degree or had any certifications. Uh, and it was about grit, uh, being curious asking the right questions, um, never taking no for an answer, um, and never being comfortable saying, I don't know. Like, it's okay to say, you don't know, you don't want to just make something up, but you're only going to catch me like that one time. And the next time you talk to me about that thing, I'm probably going to know it better than you do because I'm annoyed that I had to say, I don't know. Um, and that's how you make it because most people, not most people, a lot of people you will find are good with good enough. And so to stand out, you have to be great, which means you have to go a little bit further uh, than the other person, so you know getting back to the the question, I think the challenge is that there was a point in time where you could leverage a certification or a degree as a baseline to say this individual has this level of knowledge to be able to solve these problems that I have in my organization, but now it's like everyone's doing it, so for me, as a hiring manager, all the certification tells me. Is that you can read material or go to a boot camp or do some self study and pass a test? I need to have a conversation with you to understand whether that's going to translate into you being able to actually solve the problems that I need solved on my team. So if I'm interviewing and I don't have a certification that is required, I'm going to ask, you know, what are you looking for within this? You know, what skills does this certification tell you that I have? What is it that I need to articulate? you know, that I have the ability to do to make you more comfortable uh, with putting me in that, that role. And that that's part of the soft close, right? Is there anything in this conversation that has left you uncomfortable, anything open-ended that we need to come back to and, you know, address those things. Go into the conversation ready to address it. Don't let them bring it up. You know, you bring it up because it, it keeps you out of the hot seat and then you kind of can control where the conversation goes. But it is really important to know what your value is, know what you bring, but also put them in the hot seat to say, why do you need this? And then talk about it. And if they can't answer it, then maybe they don't.
0: <laughs> yeah. Good to keep people on their toes. I like that. Yeah. Um fantastic. Yeah. So now I'm gonna take a little bit of a sidestep there because when I've been speaking with our readers, so and this this is people who are graduates or they're people who've made um midlife career switches, um, they find that there's a block not from like their attitude or their certificates but their actual real life experience and they get you know their resume drops because they have no real life experience um on the job training seems to be a significant challenge uh, for young professionals entering the cybersecurity industry what would your advice be for those people who have the right attitude and maybe have the right certificates but are still finding it difficult to get the job
4: uh, hacker life. Uh, go out, create your own environment, create your own labs, demonstrate, um, be able to do write ups on what you did, why you did it, and talk through what problem you're trying to solve and how you solved it. Because it's one thing to say you have a lab at home and show a picture of it, but if it's not working, it doesn't matter. If it works and you don't do anything with it, it doesn't matter. So it's about what problems did you try to solve while you're creating that lab? How would you help a small business that needed to have this infrastructure set up with creating that? And then reach out to a small business, reach out to your local church, reach out to your local charity, and offer some help. They'd be happy to take you on. And most of the times, that's the grit that I'm going to steal Tia's line. That that's the grit that some <laughs> young folks are, are missing these days. Is they don't want to go out and get that life experience by themselves. I mean, w- when I grew up, I I had to figure out ways to do things, and it wasn't handed to me. So um, sa- same way that you have to do it. Like if you can't get it from your job, you go out and you find a way to do it. Um, Whether you're, you're helping your family, you're helping your church, you're helping your, your local um, shelter, whatever it is, you can find a way to do it. And that's that grit and determination. And when you tell that as a success story to the hiring managers, that this is what I was up against. This is what I did to solve that problem and how I went about solving it. That's the type of story that I think would wow Tia, as she said.
1: Little, little. <laughs> I, I point, think God,
4: a... Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Go ahead,
1: Tia.
3: Yeah, I just wanted to um, to say that when you're looking at a job description, don't add words that aren't there. And what I mean by that, in the context of this question, is I often mentor, talk to individuals that are looking at job descriptions and they're like, yeah, I was looking at this role and I know I could do it, but it said I needed like three years of professional experience. And I'm like, I'm, I'm looking at the description. I don't see the word professional anywhere. It just says three years of experience, right? And so, you know, they're reading these job descriptions and saying three years of experience and assuming that it means on the job. So assuming that all the time they've spent in labs doesn't matter, and the work that they've done in their local community, like Chris was saying, doesn't matter. But experience is experience, right? And often, like the outside the job experience is a lot more experience than the on the job experience, because the on the job experience is contained. It's in a box. There's specific tools, specific use cases, there's guardrails. But if you're out in the wild, wild west, like anything can come your way. And it really does, um, you know, demonstrate your ability to be a true problem solver. So, you know, again, don't add words to the job description that aren't there.
1: Nice. That's a great point, Tian. I do have a follow-up question on that. So, what do you think are the key signs or trades employers might be looking for? Different roles and experience. So, for example, uh a junior-level cybersecurity professional compared to someone who has more experience on a senior level. So, how do they go about? you know explaining uh, uh you know proving that they have experience or what should be the best practice for them
3: um i mean if i'm the hiring manager and i'm looking for someone at a junior level th- there is going to be some kind of baseline you know that i need so especially if it's a hands on role like ken was saying soc analyst you're you're going to at least need a security plus i need you to be able to spell <laughs> security and and, and have some conversations with me. Like, do something and demonstrate to me that you're serious about this thing. But as far as like the skills outside, the technical skills at that level, I'm looking for your ability to, to take initiative, um, to, to uh, think critically, to not get analysis paralysis, because we know seconds can feel like hours um, in this industry, um, and to, to find problems and solve them. Um, the difference when you start to get into mid senior level roles, it's not that those asks go away. I think they're a bit assumed, right? Because you've been doing it for a while and experience means you've seen these things before. You don't have to figure these things out. You've done them, right? So you're going to get to answers a bit quicker. Now, when you start to get into these mid to level, uh, mid to senior level roles, it means that you have more responsibility, which means there's more trust required. So now I'm looking at, How comfortable would I be giving you this thing to do, giving you this project to handle, giving you this team um, to manage? And that level comes down to building relationships, building trust, um, demonstrating and documenting um, results that you've delivered. And so, um, yeah, that's it for me.
4: The other thing that I would add is often when... When mid to senior level roles are written, they're written with when the individual came in to where they left. And that time of experience gathered is not something that you can easily find somewhere else. So you can't look for a replacement. And that that's a struggle that a lot of employers have, as they look for a replacement. Um, Paying them at this rate, but having them have this experience. So um, the, the things that I would suggest for individuals looking to get there is if they meet 60-70% of the job recs, because this is like a Christmas l- wish right here, um, go ahead and apply. Talk to how you have the experience to meet here and how this will allow you to grow while you're in the role because if you're already here when you go into the role you're going to be bored really quickly and they're going to lose you because you're bored so at least if you're here you have room to grow in the role
3: yeah chris chris maybe think of, of of something as well i mean to the point you made around I've had this person in my organization for three years, five years, they're gone. I have to bring in a quote unquote replacement, but it's not going to be a replacement. It's just going to be a new butt in the seat. Talk about that in the interview, you know, tell the hiring manager that you understand the problem, that you've seen this before. You understand that this is a huge gap. And here's my plan for accelerating my time to value, for understanding the environment, um, for understanding where the gaps are, for quickly, you know, implementing processes and solutions to overcome these things, because I know that this is a, a pain point from you. For you, I'm here to make your life easier. You know, sell yourself to the buyer, and and in that situation, the hiring manager is the buyer, and you want to solve their problem. Um, I think a big mistake uh, that that a lot of folks make in interviews is in, in the world of sales, we call it show up and throw up. I'm going to come in here. I'm going to tell you all about my product and how amazing it is. And I'm going to hope you buy it from me. But the buyer sitting there like, okay, like, but what does that mean for me? So make sure that you're doing that um, in these interviews with hiring managers. Don't just show up and throw up and talk about all your degrees and all your certifications and all the amazing things you did. Make sure it ties back to the problem that this hiring manager is, um, is trying to solve. That's really important.
0: Yeah. So it's not I, I was about to ask, like, so you know, hiring managers, where would you expect them to to weigh these decisions, like in experience or in theory, if you like, but maybe it's all about always linking it back to their problems, making it relevant to them. Yeah, I understand that. Um Yeah. I'm gonna pass it pass it back over to Ashwin here.
1: Yeah. Good. Uh, Tia, you just highlighted one of the common mistakes that cybersecurity professionals are making uh, in your uh, last answer. But I'd also love to understand and what other uh, common mistakes would they be making during these interviews? Are there any trends that you've identified? Uh, So, Ken, would you like to take this up?
2: Yeah, I'll jump. The biggest mistake I see people making is a lack of preparation for the interview that they're going into. And part of that is, is things like company culture, people like these books out there online about job interviews. As I say that I'm, I'm sitting here with our book, but anyways, um, other books out there that, that I've seen, like they, they tell you like, oh, ask about the company culture and in job interview. That's the worst place to do it. You should know that ahead of time. Talk to people at the company on social media. Look at their, yeah, Chris has a copy of the book too. Um, I'll autograph, hey Chris, I'll autograph one for you, you autograph one for me. But anyways, uh, but basically, right, no preparation. They come in, I had one person one time, didn't even know what company they were interviewing at. I'm like, it's, it's on the sign you walk by. And they're, they're asking me, like, where, like obviously, you didn't get the job, right? Come on. So, like, that preparation, um, the company culture, all these things about the company, things they're working on, all those are questions you can answer yourself in advance. Really, to Tia's point, what you should be focused on in the interview is how, when you come into the team, how are you delivering value in X period of time? So, one of the things I like to encourage people to do, and it's in the book, I believe I put it in there, is a five-point PowerPoint slide, or... Google Slides, whatever you use. Don't, don't get hooked on the software. But basically, first slide is introducing whatever you think the problem is, you know, that they're trying to solve, the main problem with that position. And then your 30, 60, 90-day plans on the next three slides for you coming in and what you're going to be doing. And then the last slide is just reiterating some of, the, some of the light bullet points from your resume that match to that role and solving that problem. If you do that, you stand out amongst like a thousand other applicants, Because nobody does that. People just kind of show up at job interviews. They treat it like they've applied to a thousand jobs, which I understand they probably have. But like if you've got a job interview, you already have the job usually. You just, if you screw it up, then you don't get it. Right. But if you do the right things, you prepare, you follow the advice T has already given on showing the value that you can bring and figuring out how to solve the problems that they have it's pretty rare for you not to get a job offer. Now you may not get a job offer because maybe they can't afford you. They realize that like, Oh man, she, Tia came in here and look at her. She killed it in the interview. We cannot afford her. So let's, let's hire Chris instead. Right? So that might be a reason why you you, you don't get the job offer. Could be, (laughs) could be interview bias, right? Maybe they don't like the way you look, whatever, things like that happen. Let's be realistic. Uh, but nine times out of 10, the reason why you don't get a job offer is because you suck in the interview and you don't explain how you can deliver value and solve those problems for the organization.
1: Cool. Some really good insights there Ken.
2: Uh Austin, would you like to take the next one?
1: Of course, yeah. Um, so we've been talking a lot about
0: people breaking into the field, um, usually after getting a degree or um, making that career switch with them. Um, In later life, sorry. What advice do you have for those people, and this might be the same advice, who are stuck in those lower-level jobs and need to make the step up? Because they might find, for example, that their lack of degree is holding back, which is something that SecPro readers are often telling me.
2: Well, I think think Uh, one thing people should keep in mind is as you're looking at more senior level roles, so let's say you want to move into team lead management, upper management, executive leadership, whatever. As you want to move up the scale, the thing to remember is you're never going to be qualified for that role in your own mind. Like you will never be qualified. Like when I moved, when I first moved into executive leadership years ago, I was like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. This, I'm I'm an idiot. I, I have no clue, right? Everyone feels like that, even if you get degrees and certs and you go through all these trainings and whatnot. So I think the the first thing I would say is, Understand that you're not going to ever feel qualified in your own mind, but everybody else, especially if your manager or someone's reaching out saying, hey, do you want to take on this responsibility? They're seeing it in you. That was the biggest blocker I would say from my personal experience is my mindset was blocking me. Now, as far as like moving up in the company or something like that, it's not usually degrees that are blocking you in, in most places. It's not certs that are blocking you. It may just be that that company sucks and it's time to move on. To be honest with you, it may just be that there's no opportunity there for you to move up or, or you're not getting that opportunity because of whatever politics or whatever, right? There's all these things that transpire in a lot of companies out there. And so you, you need to take a step back and say, okay, I don't seem to be making any progress in this organization to the roles that I want. What if I look at other places and maybe you go. And, and what happens oftentimes is you go to the other place, take that job offer now the company you were working at, now they were, oh, well, oh no, Tia left, right? And now they're trying to make you an offer to come back into whatever role you were trying to get. So that's, I guess that's my advice on that, a little long-winded answer there. But my advice on that is, number one, it's usually your mindset blocking you, not any of these other things. And number two, you may, you may need to change your environment to be able to get to the level that you want to get to. And
3: potentially I another question. Uh... Oh, Quite go ahead, Chris.
4: Question. Um is that if you're older in life and you're looking to transfer into tech or cyber and you're 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 wondering what to do, the question is highlight all of your transferable skills. Oftentimes in life you've done something that is similar or repeatable in another job role that you can take into tech and cyber. Um you've done analysis. You've done um, research. You've done presentations. You've created Excel sheets. I mean, you you've probably done a lot of these things throughout your life that you can highlight as a transferable skill. Definitely.
3: Yeah, I just wanted to add to that. Kind of somewhere in in between uh, Ken's two points, the point of the mental block and maybe just being at the wrong company is is right in the middle where. You do feel like there's something that you could be doing, and and you are qualified to do a bit more, and your company doesn't suck. You just haven't spoken up, right? You're you're just you're sitting around waiting for someone to come to you telling you that there's an opportunity available. But understand that because you're not in those mid to senior level roles, there's a lot of meetings and a lot of decisions being made and a lot of strategy happening that you're not exposed to. There are probably opportunities in the wake that aren't maybe you know, hitting the corporate roadmap because they don't have people to fill the roles. And so my advice would be speak up. If you're, if you're having trouble moving into a role, ask your leader, you know, are there opportunities? Um, what can I do, you know, to, to get more exposure to things? Can I, you know, work with some cross-functional teams to get a better understanding of the business? Because I feel like um, in the world of tech, one of the key differentiators uh, is a technologist, that understands business. A lot of times, individuals have troubles breaking into more mid to senior level roles, even if it is still more technical and instead of managerial, you're responsible for more. So now your actions are more tied, right, to the bottom line of the business. So the more you understand the business, the way the business operates, and finance, and you know what the business cares about what what is the value that this business is driving because at the end of the day businesses exist to generate value right uh, to to produce a product or an offering and so the better you understand that how your actions tie into that and how you can streamline those operations improve them make them more efficient throw ideas out there be a leader before you have a leader title do mid to senior level type things before you're in those roles to demonstrate that you have the capability to do them. And you'd be surprised um, at how opportunities uh pop up because some people go to leave and, and put in their notice and they were like oh, and companies like oh my goodness I didn't know you were unhappy. I didn't know you wanted to do this this other thing. I would have been happy to put a growth plan in place for you and work with you. Now that's not everywhere, right? That's good companies with enlightened leaders. So if you do ask your management, you know, for opportunities or options or even a growth plan and you get crickets, then yeah, I'd go with Ken's advice <laughs> and start looking.
0: Well I'm I'm gonna jump into the other extreme, which I've actually seen, um, from a lot of the SecPro readers, which is people who've gone freelance, which we seem to be seeing more and more of, um, every year. So I always find freelance security experts or pen testers and malware researchers when we reach out for feedback, um, and freelancing obviously requires a, a great deal of experience, but is, have you noticed any changes in the way that companies are approaching hiring? you know, in reference to this uh, wave of freelance freelancers, sorry.
4: I'd say it's often cheaper to hire someone for a short period of time with a specific skill set to do something like a pen test or a threat model where you have a definite deliverable, you have a contract for a certain amount versus hiring someone full-time, where you can't use them 100% of the time. So you're, if you don't have something else for them to do, you're wasting the cost that you spend on them. So yes, uh, companies are often uh, looking to do contract for that type of specialization, because potentially Tia's rates $400 an hour, but we can't pay her half a million dollar a year salary, so they'll they'll hire her for four hundred dollars an hour until they get the project done um versus paying the larger salary.
0: understandable yeah makes
3: sense. yeah, I think it makes sense in in those instances where it is to Chris's point sort of a tactical thing where you need this one thing done, you get a report an outcome, and then you go off and build but I think on the flip side of that, um, as it relates to actual program management, program maturity, that's where the heartburn is because you can't really contract. Well, you can, um, but a lot of leaders don't like to, one, because you cannot hold those individuals to the same level of of scrutiny that you do your, your internal employees. Like contractually, they could redline the heck out of like your acceptable use policies and things like that. They're using their own equipment. You're not going to be managing their devices and things like that. Um, but also you lack the ability to maintain historical knowledge, right? Value increases the longer an employee is at the company, even if they don't improve their skills, just because they have the knowledge of what's happened over time. So they have you know, better visibility into why decisions were made and, and can influence decisions um, going forward. So for the long game, Contractors are tough, but fully agree, um, like outsourcing, contracting for for snapshot type things is, is becoming more and more attractive.
1: Makes, Makes sense. sense. I think it has its both pros and cons. Uh, I'm gonna jump to the next question. Uh, we know cybersecurity is dynamic, right? And it's extremely difficult to stay relevant and up to date. Although there are good resources out there, it would be nice if you three can recommend what do you feel are good resources just to stay up to date with the latest and emerging trends, as well as the constantly updating, uh, the tech landscape is changing, right? So it's nice to get suggestions from you on this.
2: Yeah. If you just well, follow all, Tia I'd Hopkins, say- you'll, uh, if you follow Tia Hopkins and Chris, <laughs> like you'll, you'll learn everything you need to um, I'll, sorry, Chris, I interrupted you, but I'll, the I'll just throw one podcast out there that ha- also has an email list. The CyberWire is the name of it. I think they do a good job of aggregating some of the um, some of the more recent threats and, and some of the APT groups. So I think that's a good starting resource. There's just a, a, a jillion podcasts depending on what specialty you're going to. If you're somebody brand new, I mean, Chris and uh, Renee Small have a podcast. If you're trying to break into cybersecurity. Uh, if you want to learn how to bench press a car and stuff, I mean Tia has a podcast where she talks about how to you know lift cars and stuff. And I'm just kidding; she doesn't really. But that's a, that's an idea. But I mean, there's so many, right? The Hacker Valley Studio uh, Cloud Security Podcast. I mean, there's just there's an endless array of podcasts. It's really you have to figure out what you're trying to learn, and that will direct you on, on where you're going to go.
4: Well, there, there we go. I wanted to exactly touch on where Ken finished up is. It's so broad, it's so wide. Figure out potentially where you want to go to first narrow it down. Do you want to do cloud security? Do you want to do application security? Do you want to do infrastructure security? Do you want to just support SaaS applications and APIs? Like there's so much to specialize in. Um, figuring out where you want to go, what problem you want to solve, And then really start to dig in on that problem and become a specialist, even though you're new, you can become a specialist in a certain area because you've really dove down in that one area and then become a generalist as you grow in the other areas. But I recommend these days how everything's so broad is specializing first. Um finding that area that you want to support first, that problem you wanna solve first. Got it.
3: I um I, I agree in, in terms of like having a focus that's you know relevant to the path that you're on and being able to keep up with what's going on specifically there. Uh, I do also think that there is a need to understand what's going on in the industry at large from a trend perspective. Um, especially if you're looking to to level up in your career. Like at the junior level, you have to focus or your head will explode. So so um Ken and Chris are exactly right on that. But um getting back to the point around advice when you're looking to like branch into mid-to-senior level roles, you have to think broader. And so you have to get out of the tunnel vision that you're experiencing in your role every day. And so that comes down to, you know, reading, reading blogs. I mean, I don't know, you know, there's Krebs on Securities out there. There's like the Daily Breach where you can just figure out, you know, who got popped. I think like Wall Street Journal has a cybersecurity um, um, article that they put out. So that's like broad. Here's what's popping in the the industry. Those things are good to know. And more than likely, you'll read something in there that piques your interest and, and it'll take you down. Um, all the rabbit holes you want to go down. Like every rabbit hole in, in cybersecurity has 10 other rabbit holes uh, that, that you can go down. And that's that's where really the knowledge and experience come from, come from back to the point of curiosity. Like don't take anything at face value in this industry. If you read an article and you're like, huh, that's weird, go read five other perspectives on it, right? Because anytime an article is written, it means someone got the data from what actually happened and then put their perspective on it, and 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 it went out right. So you want to read three, four, five different versions to see if they all align, if there's different uh, perspective, because that's really the way you have to think in the industry to be successful. Question everything, right? Um, I'm I've, I've been zero trust before zero trust <laughs> was a thing. I, I asked all the questions first, but um, yeah. So I mean, podcasts. Articles, but my big one, especially down to building relationships and and being notable, is going to conferences. You go to conferences and you listen to talks, then you know what people are thinking about. You know what's on the cutting edge, what's on the bleeding edge, what's trending. What do CISOs care about? You know what are vendor um, put what are vendors pushing in the way of features, functionality. What's the latest and greatest technologies? Um, conferences are, are really great for that, so I always recommend those as a way to keep up as well.
1: Awesome some solid recommendations there tia and kitten and also i agree with you Christoph. just try and figure out where your interest lies and then start focusing on that direction uh let's now talk about the book you three authored hack the Cybersecurity interview now this book helps entry level as well as experienced professionals to prepare for interviews in a wide variety of roles right Uh, whether be penetration tester malware analyst or even managerial roles. What would you say are the three main key takeaways from the book? Who would like to take this up?
4: I'll start with understand the role, understand the problem that you're trying to solve in that role, and then share wins that you've had along the way to show how you can solve those problems.
2: I mean, Chris Chris took all the good stuff. So I I guess uh um I did I mentioned earlier on on this podcast the slide deck idea. I I think that's mentioned in the book. So I think that's that's something. I think your mindset is a huge thing that people oftentimes are like I don't need to prepare my mind. I got this whatever. It's like okay, maybe you do, but like most people get nervous for an interview. Even if you've been in for 10, 20 years, if it's a job you really want, you get a little nervous. And that's where that preparation comes in. So I would say mindset, uh, the book talks about preparing and then also the slide deck, because that really helps you kind of map out visually of like, how are you actually fitting into the equation on that team and how are you actually solving the problems? And that's something awesome when you go to the interview and you're like, hey, I've, I prepared the short little slide deck just to talk about what I think a problem you're trying to solve is and how I fit into it. Like, again, you're going to stand out from like everybody else because nobody's doing that. Everyone's just... Here's my resume. Oh, great. I got an interview. Oh, tell me about the culture. Why do you like working here? All these generic questions that that if it's a company with a mature interview process, they're going to be like, you can have five minutes at the end. I'm not answering questions right now. I've got a list of questions I need to go through. Usually they're behavioral based, which we've got in the book as well. So I think mindset, preparing, and then just part of that preparation is having something like that slide deck ready to show how you can actually deliver value in the organization. Date.
3: Um, I think for me, my my three takeaways are sort of a, a three-step process, but they they all relate to, to all things um, in this amazing, amazing book. Uh, the first one, like uh, Ken mentioned earlier, know your why. Because if you don't know your why, like why are you interested in this industry? Why do you want to work in the industry? What do you love? Then- You're not going to know which chapter is relevant to you. You're not going to know what moves you. You're not even going to know what jobs you should apply for to get the interview that you need to hack. Number two, understand the why of the company that's interviewing you. All the whys. You know, why are they hiring you? Why is this role open? Is it new? Was someone in it before? There's lots of whys um, that need to be asked of the interview were because interviews are a two-way street. A common mistake is interviewees putting themselves in the hot seat when the reality is both of you are trying to determine whether this could be a mutually beneficial uh, relationship, which leads to my third point, understanding your why and understanding their why gets you down to, is this the right fit? You know, so if you can get down to their why and determine that it's not a right fit for you before you even get the interview, then you save yourself a a lot of time. But then coming out of the interview, especially if you get an offer, understanding their why also puts you in a position that you can really, really, really negotiate um, if you have the ability to really solve that problem for them uh, that they're trying to solve. So your why, their why, and how do those two mix or not um, are, are the three big ones for me.
0: Thank you very much. The absolute wealth of wisdom there for our listeners. Um, And I'm going to ask you to uh, look into the future a little bit for me, for us now, Um, with our final question. um, So how do you see the process of hiring for cybersecurity roles changing in the future? And that's addressed to each of you. What do you expect will be the biggest changes that our listeners are going to have to come up against in the future?
3: Well, I think if uh, they listen to to Ken and Ken's able to, to change the course of how things are being done today and the way they should be done, right? Hiring for things like attitude uh, and, and aptitude, then things like certifications and degrees are going to become table stakes. And we're already seeing that, right? Because we're talking about the interview, but right, the work is getting to uh, the interview and that's making sure you get through those filters and all those things. And so that's saying, all right, you've got these letters. That's great. Cool. Now I want to, now I want to talk to you. Right. So it's going to be about demonstrating those soft skills uh, that a lot of uh, very um, technically minded individuals struggle with. Um, I hope we get to that point because at some point the certification and the green market is gonna be so overly saturated that it's, it's, it pains me to say, because I hold a lot of certifications um, for the right reasons, but, but they're gonna become watered down. They're gonna become diluted because it's a differentiator if not a lot of people have it. Once a lot of people have it, it's not a differentiator. So we will have to find another way to figure out whether folks know what they're talking to and, about and whether that means going back to assessments or we have to do eight hours of work to prove that we can solve a problem to get a job. Um, that That's how I see it um, changing, just measuring more so for the things that that Ken mentioned instead of all looking for all the alphabet soup.
2: Yeah, I would agree with what Tia just said. I think that we're already seeing saturation on certs, uh, specifically SEC plus and CEH and, and kind of these more entry-level ones. I think that when you get a resume and you see that, like, I don't know, if I get Chris and tia's resumes, and like they're the same, and they, okay, they've got the same cert, like who knows how to to crack a box and who doesn't right? We'll just talk about c e h like that doesn't tell me that you can do pen testing that just tells me you can honestly, I just read a book and passed it like it was the easiest cert I've ever passed in my life, not to you know I'll probably get hate mail for that, but but that's all it was <laughs> um as far as like interviews, i think I think we'll see to Tia's point, I think we are gonna see a pivot to more of the the interview is focused on soft skills, focused on behavioral interview questions, where tell me about a problem you solve. So even if you're coming from working at McDonald's and now you're trying to get into cybersecurity, like you've gone through problems at McDonald's. I, I worked fast food, not at McDonald's, but I, I know there's problems. I know you deal with irate customers. So tell me about the time you dealt with an irate customer and what was the process you, you used to solve the situation, you know? So I think, I think we'll see more of that. It's just, we've got to get a lot of these bigger companies that have more mature interview processes have them continue to push for that and then all the stragglers will come about just like everything else. Um, I guess the last thing I'll add there is I think we'll see more technology used to try to trim down the the burden on hiring managers. Whether that's a good thing or bad thing, I still still jury's still out on that one.
1: That's going to be
4: interesting. <clears throat> Definitely Well, I hate to say AI and ML, but um, I I think that's what Ken was referring to, is that they're going to throw all these things out there in the hopes of um, improving that. And and, until it does, because humans create these things, there's going to be inherent biases in there. And kind of like we mentioned in the book, I think... Having the ability to network will still remain one of the most critical skills that you have. Not network with computers, but network with people, build relationships, and that's really the, the way that you're going to get your job um, versus uh, sending in your resume to 101 different places.
3: If I may, I know we went we went round and round, but one thing I didn't mention is I think social is going to become a huge influencer more more than it already is uh, in in hiring. Like if you have a social presence, whether it's a good one and and establishes establishes credibility for you and moves you forward, or you say things on LinkedIn that you should probably reserve for late night on Twitter uh, that prevents you from getting a job. I am seeing um, social become more and more a part of. Um, how hiring decisions are made. Um, And then the the last thing I'll say, um, this isn't necessarily how I see the future changing, but it is going to become more and more relevant to be a person and be a storyteller because that's what's going to answer some of those questions that I think are going to come up as we shift the way um, that we hire. So just make sure your resume um, tells stories that certifications can't tell. And, And the way I like to Give examples of that is like, you know, I I come from humble beginnings. I did not have a lot uh, growing up. So I had to be creative. I had to figure things out and I had to solve impossible problems. And that has followed me into my adult life where I'll see colleagues struggling uh, to solve a problem and complaining because they don't have enough resources, don't have enough time, and they need this tool and that tool. And I'm like, man, you give me a magic marker and a roll of tape and I'll build a car. And so I want to make sure, you know, that that my resume articulates that. Like my lived experiences, not just my professional experiences, um, add value too, Because all those things are going to start to matter um, um, a lot more as we shift the way we're looking at candidates.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Thank you very much for that. And um, thank you you to all. Those are all uh, fascinating answers to our our questions. And um, thank you for giving us your time and, and joining for... Uh, this episode um before we go i thought you'd like to get the opportunity to tell our listeners about where they can find uh, each of you on social media and follow your work and anything like that um, yeah i guess so, i'll
2: jump in real yeah, quick course, uh, so uh, this is ken if you're just listening and not watching Um, find me on LinkedIn. I I do have a Twitter. I rarely use it. And now obviously with everything going on with Twitter, I'll probably just delete it and move on with life. Uh, but yeah, on LinkedIn and and YouTube. You can find me. Um, also have a TV show out there.
4: I'm not a movie star like Ken, but I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, (laughs) um, CPF coaching on medium, as well as my own website. So find me there.
3: Uh, I am mostly on LinkedIn as well as Tia. Not, uh, my Twitter game is is weak, and I'm uh, team Ken on that one uh, as well. Uh, and on Instagram, even though I don't use it, I am the cyber equalizer.
0: Fantastic. Thank you very Great. much.
1: Thank you, Ken, Christoph, and Tia. Folks, in case you're interested in picking up the book, uh, Hack the Cybersecurity Interview, You can find it on PACT's website, also on Amazon, and all other leading channels.
0: And thank you to the listeners for joining us for this episode of our cybersecurity podcast. We'd love to hear from you, so be sure to email us at audio at with any feedback, questions, or suggestions. Thank you very much, and see you next time.